0: you're listening to secrets of data analytics leaders
1: the data lake is not for everyone if you're only working with 10 terabytes of data or maybe 20 um, you probably don't need a data lake if your workload fits on a couple of beefy dell servers you don't need a data
0: lake Welcome, everyone. My name is Wayne Eckerson, host of the Secrets of Data Leaders podcast, which surfaces the tips, tricks, and techniques of leading practitioners in the data analytics field. With me on the show today is Dan Graham, who has more than 30 years in IT consulting, research, and product marketing, with almost 30 of those years at leading database management companies. Dan was a strategy director in IBM's Global BI Solutions division, and general manager of Teradata's high-end server divisions. During his ten years as a product marketer, Dan has been responsible for MPP data management, data warehouses and data lakes, and most recently the Internet of Things and streaming systems. In the many years I've known Dan, he's been an, an astute observer of the industry. He has never been one to mince words or dance around his opinions about large systems technology and products. Given that, I thought he'd be a perfect guest for our podcast. So welcome to the show, Dan.
1: Hey, Wayne, thanks for having me. Really appreciate your invite.
0: So today we're going to tackle a topic near and dear to your heart, data lakes and data warehouses. I know from talking to a lot of folks out there that there is still a lot of confusion about the differences between the two and whether they can and should coexist. So let me ask the first question. Uh, A lot of people want to know if, if it's a requirement today to have a data lake even if you already have a data warehouse, do you still need a data lake? What is your opinion?
1: The data lake is not for everyone. If you're only working with 10 terabytes of data, or maybe 20, um, you probably don't need a data lake. If your workload fits on a couple of beefy Dell servers, you don't need a data lake. So remember that the data lakes were born at Yahoo to handle thousands of servers interacting with millions of clients every minute. Size really matters here. So don't jump into the data lake just because it's trendy. If you do, you wanna update your resume at the same time. The data lake answer depends on the customer's need, of course, and if you're facing an avalanche of big data, you probably need a data lake. And there are three primary use cases for data lakes. First, the data is arriving in real time faster than it's prudent to load it into a database. So things like Kafka and HDFS are really good at this. They can load data Uh, at disk speed, capturing real-time streams. The second reason for a data lake is that your data data integration architecture is getting a little big and a little complex. The data integration tools work, but you need a distribution hub to capture and distribute thousands of files daily. So now you have a big data problem associated with gathering files and distributing files through your data hub. So some data lakes capture all the data feeds in a single system and distribute it to downstream applications. And that includes data warehouses. A lot of the data comes out of the data lake, goes into the data warehouse. And then, of course, you need strong metadata capture from uh, catalog tools that allow you to keep track of all of the files coming and going. Because the worst thing that can happen is you lose the files, you don't know where they are, you don't know the name of them. Uh, More important, you find the file, you find 10 files with the same file name with slight differences, and now you don't know which one you need. So a metadata catalog is crucial to the data distribution strategy for a data lake. And the third and last use case is the agile analytics, or what some people call the discovery zone for data scientists. Uh, They need a place to explore unknown questions with unknown data. The word scientist implies we don't know the questions and we don't know the answers we need to experiment we need to fail forward not fast but forward and if you are working with big data the agile discovery zone or machine learn for machine learning and data scientists is crucial you need to have a lesser amount of governance and a lot of performance and a lot of chances to just experiment. Some of the experiments blow up, some of them produce magic for you. So it's true that in some cases, the data scientists can do their work on a small amount of data, even on their laptops. But when you start having access to big data, it dramatically helps the accuracy of the answers, especially when locating the outliers. So having tens and hundreds of terabytes of data on Uh, let's say consumers or sensor data, is going to produce a lot more accuracy and a lot more insights than 5 or 10 megabytes or 2 gigabytes. So there's three use cases, predominantly fast data loading, secondarily a distribution hub, and third is this discovery zone for uh, reduced governance for data scientists.
0: So one thing I noticed you didn't mention uh, was variety, you know, in the three V's, volume, you mentioned velocity, you mentioned variety, you didn't. And a lot of people think that uh, with unstructured or semi-structured data, that's not going to go in the warehouse. So you need a data lake. What do you think about that?
1: Uh, I think it's half true and half false. I think the the original chant that came out of different analyst houses and and Hadoop aficionados uh, was poking the relational database vendors for not having all the data types. But if you poke a relational database vendor, it's easier for them to add a data type than it is for the Hadoop community to add 30 years of high availability and performance and, and uh, governance and all the other things. So all of the big data warehouse companies, the database companies started adding uh, JSON and, and CSV and Avro and other kinds of unstructured data. But it's true that when you get really large amounts of data, particularly video, uh, those kinds of things, and sensor data in, in many cases, it's a whole lot cheaper to put it in the data lake and just take subsets of that data into the data warehouse for final refinement. So I wouldn't worry about the variety thing. It was a nice chant while it lasted, but it didn't really change the market much.
0: Okay, so that's that's interesting. We can transform this unstructured or semi-structured data into relational format and the, the... Uh, Or not, or maybe we have operators that know how to work on that data now in the relational world, right?
1: Yeah, it it was true that I think it was uh, Amazon Aurora just added uh, a capability to do pivots um, or something to that effect that to, you know, basically deal with unstructured data converting into rows and columns, of course. So, you know, there's a lot of this stuff going on on both sides of the fence. and, And I wouldn't be too concerned about the data type. If you need to do video analysis, you probably will do it in a data lake. But don't don't count the relational database vendors out. They just add features
0: pretty easily. So let me take my first question and flip it on its head. Let's say you do have a data lake for the three reasons you mentioned. Do you still need a data warehouse?
1: Well, the answer is absolutely yes. Um, the definition of a data warehouse and a data lake are very different uh, design patterns. And what you do with the data warehouse is you take care of 80% of all the queries in the company. You take care of all the customer data, the financials, the inventory, the risk data, all the stuff that for 20, 30-odd years that most of these companies have been working on, you can't do that in a data lake. Um, Now, the data warehouse has all the trustworthy, highly curated, reliable data. The data lake tends to have all the raw data. And that is the original fidelity. So if you think to yourself, gee, I need to go back in time and see what what exactly we got from that company or uh, on that website, you need the data lake for the raw data. You don't put raw data in a data warehouse. So at the very foundation of the two platforms, one has raw, uncurated data. The other one has clean, curated data. This alone isn't the only reason. But when you go to the data warehouse, this clean data is also integrated. Integrating the data through your data integration tools basically means refining all the male and female, all the account numbers, all the product codes, all the different things, the names and addresses, cleaning all that up in what's called schema on write. In the data lake, it's the polar opposite. We don't want to clean that until we have to. So we do a schema on read. And so again, it's the integration of the data in the data warehouse that really distinguishes it from all other repositories. And it's hard; it's really hard. Now, you might consider that bar- as a barrier to entry to competitors, but integrating that data and getting it right means that the end users don't have to bang their head on the wall trying to figure out if if zero and one means male and female, or one and two, or if it's A and C, and if it's all these other different codes from all these different source systems. So the the point of the data warehouse is to make it easy for the business users to do all kinds of queries with BI tools. And I know, Wayne, you're an expert on business intelligence. I know that, I've read your stuff for years. Uh, and by the way, you're an exceptional writer. Uh, so that makes it easy for me to absorb that information. But making it easy for the business intelligence users isn't the point of the data lake. The data lake is more for the programmers and the data engineers and the people are in the IT organization uh, and oftentimes data scientists. So it's different communities. It's different data. It's different design points. And there's no reason that you would ever get rid of your data warehouse. Let me put it differently. If somebody got rid of their data warehouse, I would sell all my stock on those guys. Walk away, get out, save yourself because they, they are cutting off their own legs.
0: <laughs> I told you, uh, audience that Dan didn't mince his words, uh, so, But let's talk about the warehouse. It's it, it came under attack with the advent of big data and Hadoop. Uh, it lost its luster, but I think in actually the last year or two, it's kind of regained some of its shine. But we all know that a lot of data warehouses were suboptimally designed and were costing a ton of money for the value they brought to their organizations. What changes do you think companies need to make to ensure that their data warehouses do provide optimal value and has the way we design warehouses changed with the advent of all this new technology Uh, And I'm thinking in particular that a lot of folks are saying that maybe we don't need to go to the same extent in the way we model the data warehouse as we used to but I'm not so sure that's true either so I'm curious what you think
1: well, I, the, certainly the biggest problem for the data warehouse was always the complexity of modeling and, and the implementations. It took a lot of projects year after year to get it to a really pristine state. And, uh, you know, this is just like any bell curve, where there's always some really advanced people on the far left side. There's a mainstream where there's some really good data warehouses. And then there's the laggards who did um half-baked job, and and finally the the total losers at the low end and far end of the the bell curve. Um, So it's just the nature of a market that this is going to happen. But I will say that that the complexity of data warehouses was significant. Uh, I think we stick with the data modeling. I think we pound on the vendors to have them give, give us some or all of their logical data models so we don't have to do that. I would pay the vendor to help build the physical models. And uh, I don't think we walk away from this kind of thing. The data has to be usable by the business user. That's the whole point of all of this. If the business user looks at it and rolls his eyes and says, I don't get it, I don't understand how we came to this conclusion, um, they're not going to use it. I think we also have to respect that um, there's a tremendous number of uh, millennials and new people uh, moving into the data warehousing uh, business in terms of working in these corporations, uh, and not all of them grew up with the, the background and the deep understanding of some of these issues. What that means is they can make some mistakes uh, saying, well, let's just put all this in a data mart, or let's let's put all this in a, a laptop access database, or let's move it to a data lake. Some of those are good ideas. A lot of them are disastrous. So uh, I think that in terms of what needs to be done, um, I'm still an aficionado of the original um, Devlin and Inman and Claudia and Imhoff and all the people who, who laid this out and said integrate the data, get it right and then let the users rock out and there's such cool BI tools nowadays, there's no reason you can't make money. Uh, I know a customer who said they've uh, <laughs> I loved it, they, they said they've made a billion dollars over 10 years on their data warehouse and I scratched my head and said you never brought that up while we were negotiating price on the next next upgrade so there's there's people out there making tons of money. And uh, unfortunately, these are weapons of economic war. If you're not in the same category, you need to learn how to do this. So I'm still an aficionado. Integrate the data, make it good for the business users, because it's only there for the business users.
0: You know, it's interesting that the warehouse is kind of sandwiched now between the data lake on one end with its distribution hub. As you mentioned, I want to come back to that. Uh, and on the other end, uh, these BI tools increasingly are adding high-performance in-memory commoner engines to provide consistent high performance to queries. You know, I'm thinking like Tableau has its new Hyper Engine. ThoughtSpot has this unbelievable in-memory engine that processes uh, raw data uh, uh, at speed. Impetus with its Kyvos, uh kind of uh, Hadoop-based OLAP tool at scale, same thing. All these tools are pulling data out of the warehouse or the data lake uh, to provide high performance. So, you know, some people say, well, just run those tools right against the the distribution hub and you, you don't need a data warehouse anymore. <laughs> uh, I, I can imagine what you would think, but go ahead. That's short-sighted.
1: I spent a lot of time with Rita Salam at Gartner on this. Every year I called her and said... How's the BI business going in relation to Hadoop? And, and the message came back consistently, not good. The Hadoop uh, and the underlying data lake subsystem are not built like a database, and the consequence is they don't perform well. Secondarily, even though the SQL clauses are starting to, you know, get better and better, they really haven't finished out the ANSI SQL 1992 version. What this means is, is that these tools like Tableau and Click and all these other really cool tools really flounder. The, the performance when you go into the Hadoop system tends to be pretty bad. Now, when you look at Kyvos and Arcadia data and some of these folks that build OLAP cubes, somebody's putting in the effort to build an OLAP subsystem that allows you to have the performance. But now you're looking at summary data and there's no drill down into the detailed data, or if there is, it's certainly not what they're used to getting in the data warehouse. So these tools, you have to remember, what they're doing is they're pulling a snapshot of data into their system, managing it there. Why? Because performance is is tough when they go back to the data lake, and they want to hang on to that data. They do the same thing in the shadow IT environment, where they're basically saying, I need to do self-service. I've got this little spreadsheet out there, or I've got a a, a Postgres database or whatever. I need to do some amount of analysis, so I really just wanna pull this into Tableau or click, and then slice and dice it with all these really cool capabilities. Again, it's a snapshot, it's a point in time. It's not the current database, it's not the current data warehouse within a few minutes. So they are dependent on the data warehouse, And You should always get data from the data warehouse. It's the clean data. It's the trustworthy data, but there's no reason not to get data out of the data lake because that may be your only choice. You may not have the option to sit there and refine the data for three weeks. You may have to have the answer to the boss by tomorrow, and so these tools are are absolutely necessary, but they struggle with the underlying data lake technologies. It's really not performant. It really doesn't do all the SQL things you need, and that doesn't mean you can't use it. It just means that you're sort of hamstrung a lot of the time. These snapshots uh, create a an alternative to that performance problem. You can go back in time and rerun the job. Yeah, that's great, but you still have to go to the source data sooner or later. No,
0: yeah, I would agree that direct access to Hadoop um, or, or even a, a cloud object store now is, is not performant, although... Uh... Uh, some of those tools like Presto are getting better, uh, but I was thinking more of the tools that extract and query, rather than direct query. Um, a lot of them, as you say, only give you the summarized data, which has limitations. Obviously, um, there are some like ThoughtSpot that actually do give you a detailed data. So if you can basically pull data from a distribution hub and put it into this massive OLAP cube. I was talking with Impetus yesterday, and they have 100 terabyte OLAP cubes running on their uh, Hadoop-based tool, which is interesting. Um, you know, you can get good performance. Um, it's it's summary data.
1: Well, and you and I lived through the the OLAP wars, the Molap and ROLAP wars, and it all turns out to be, yeah, Molap was fun. But what I wanted to do was get the summary result and then drill down into the details. Why did that summary look like that? Because I showed the report to the boss, and, and we all worked for this guy once. You know, he'd look at a report and in like three seconds he'd spot the bad number and say, "Go figure that out." Uh, so, uh, you know, I, my old CIO was that way, and, and so the drill down is a critical feature. And it doesn't mean that these tools can't do some amount of drill drill down. But I have known customers that do somewhere between um, 500 million and and a billion queries a day. You're not gonna do that with these tools. You're not gonna do that with a data lake. Um, Those queries are analytic queries, they're not transactions. I mean, when you see that kind of performance, you're scratching your head and going, holy moly, how'd you end up with so many users? And, And it's because a lot of the data warehouses today are active data warehouses or real time, if you will. They'll have, several thousand users log in in any given day, and each of them will pound out 10, 20, 50 queries and then go back to their desk. Um, so these are different technologies. If your BI tool does all this magic, then please do it. You, know, you got to get your job done. And that's, that's the point, is make the users happy and help them get their job done. But uh, there's no one single technology that's going to do it all right
0: well, well I guess the rationale uh, is that you know if you can use one of these tools you go directly against this distribution hub you pull the data out you don't have to model as much in these tools uh, and then you're, you're ready to go and you don't need a data warehouse anymore
1: I think it's fine for some data I think it's particularly fine for agile problems for uh, situations where you don't have three weeks to uh, negotiate with the governance committee to put a field in the in the database, I think that's great. I think you still have eighty percent of your queries and your workloads going through the data warehouse, whether you can use these tools or not. So
0: the data lake used to be synonymous with Hadoop, <laughs> and uh, now we're seeing Hadoop kind of disappear uh, and move into the cloud. And I'm wondering if you feel a little bit justified. <laughs> uh, yeah. Hadoop came bursting onto the scene, and it seems to be disappearing just as fast. Uh, what's your thought on that?
1: Well, I, I think that uh, you know we had a lot of years where Hortonworks and Cloudera were competing with each other. And, and all the time that they were fighting, there was a stealth company sneaking up on them uh, and moving Hadoop workloads into the cloud. The name of that company is Amazon Web Services, and they offered an awful lot of APIs that were mirrors of the Hadoop MapReduce and some of the other services. So we all woke up one day and and realized, hey, wait a minute, there's more Hadoop in Amazon than in Cloudera and Hortonworks combined. How did I miss that? Well, Tony Baer, back at the beginning, January of 2018, wrote a great article in ZDNet uh, called Cloud Storage Becomes the De-Facto Data Lake. So what's happening is people are finding it a lot easier to put all their raw data into Amazon S3 containers because it's really low cost. Now, most of the Hadoop data and most of what they're putting up there is ice cold in just a couple of weeks. In other words, what you want is really enormously low cost on storing data that you might never use again. Uh, but you will have to keep it for a lot of reasons. So if you add Apache Spark to the S3 blobs, you have the de facto data lake these days. So that's pretty clear that, you know, everything's moving to the cloud. It'll move to Azure just as well. And about eight months ago, Gartner took a stance that a data lake could be built with relational databases. And I uh, postulated that in front of an audience of of, uh, analysts, and half of them looked at me like I had a purple head with one big eye And the other half just shook their head and said, yeah, I already knew that. I sort of already got it. And what's going on here is that if you look at the definition of a data lake, you know, it's raw data, scalability at low cost. um, It's refining the data for exploration. It's not a full data integration. It's just one level of refinement. And it serves downstream systems and has long-term storage. If you think about that for a while and you say, okay, if I can negotiate my appliance vendor down to a very low-cost data warehouse appliance, then I can put a whole bunch of data in there, which is exactly what happened. Uh, I knew, the, knew one customer that had a huge Cloudera data lake. They had a huge Teradata data warehouse, and they bought a couple of low-cost appliances and stuffed petabytes of archival data in there. Why? Because they had an auditing problem. Uh, Being that they were a bank, they needed to be able to go back 7 and 10 years to deal with government auditors. And the only thing that they, you know, they didn't really violate any of the principles of a data lake. They fought for a low-cost platform. So the vendors stuffed it with big, uh, what we used to call tub drives, the big uh, 4 and and 10 terabyte uh, hard disks. So they didn't care about performance at this point. They just cared about uh, price. So the consequence here is that you can build, uh, according to Gartner, about 20% of the uh, the data lakes will be relational databases uh, in 2020. And I'm scratching my head and going, boy, that's, you know, you got to be careful starting your car sometimes if, if you, that gets out because not everybody's going to agree with you. So I think right now Hadoop is definitely in the trough of disillusionment. uh, If you use the Gartner vernacular and concept, Um, Hadoop is suffering. uh, And I think that the broadside by Amazon and the the doldrums that Hadoop's gone into for the last couple of years, uh, basically is a motivation for Cloudera and Hortonworks to merge. So I think we have to be very careful not to count these guys out. First, they're both Silicon Valley innovators, and that counts for a lot. Uh, Second, they have good revenue momentum, so Hadoop is growing. It's it's growing slower, but it's growing. And uh, the last thing I think we have to do is respect that they took drastic and bold action to do this merger. If you think of a bank or a retailer, they would normally study this problem for five years and then take action before when it was too late. So I think we're going to see Cloudera and Hortonworks come out of the doldrums uh, as their merger progresses. And I think they probably will exit 2019 with some good news. Uh, But for right now, you can put a data lake in Amazon. You can put it in a relational database. and You can put it in Hadoop.
0: Well, uh, for a proponent of data warehouse, and you surprised me with that comment, you're much more optimistic about Cloudera and Hortonworks than I am. I know Cloudera's stock dropped fifty percent earlier this year after announced a strategy change where it was going to pivot towards data warehousing and data science, uh, and the market didn't like that at all. And now they've got this this huge uh, redirect by merging with their top competitor. So it will be see, it will be interesting to see what happens in in the coming year.
1: Well, as you as you heard me say earlier, one of the key use cases is agile analytics. So. I think Cloudera will make a lot of uh, strides with that. If you look at Hortonworks, one of their key workloads was Internet of Things. And and I'm a big proponent of that market. It's it's an amazing market. And so they've got some things going for them. I'm not a fan of their message that a data lake is a data warehouse. I think it's... uh, It's falling on deaf ears and it it hurts their credibility, but um, I think that that will go by the wayside as they merge their marketing departments.
0: All right, last question, Dan. What other considerations uh, should people think about when creating a modern data architecture?
1: Uh, That's interesting. I spent the last uh, few months, uh, probably five months, working on that issue to some degree. So look at it like this. We've got a data integration system that serves the corporation. We've got a data warehouse running 80% of all the queries, reports, and dashboards, and it will never die. Analytics is a complex system in its own right. It has its own data flow and its own workflow. And then along comes a data lake, and it's a complex system. My message is this is a system of systems, and they all have to interact with each other and share data and provide value. So many of the large companies grew this infrastructure by accident. So they have an accidental architecture. It's not an integrated architecture. So it's time to re-architect portions of these systems. And by this, I mean, put all these systems on the whiteboard and start looking for overlaps and synergies and where we can help one another between data integration, data warehouses, data lakes, and analytics. Okay, so now Gartner likes to call this the logical data warehouse, and I think that's a weak name. Most people are calling it the analytic ecosystem. The ecosystem is what I call the system of systems. There's a lot of value and synergy to be derived by putting all these architectures on the whiteboard and blending the overlaps. But more important, every boundary between these systems is where the majority of complexity and cost is. Anytime there's a line between one of these two systems, there's an arrow, that's where your costs and complexity are because you're transforming the data one more time to put it in the other system. And that's really where all the hidden costs are. It's not hard to run Informatica or, or any number of, of ETL data integration tools and, and integrate data. It's when you start putting in the data warehouse and it's not quite right for the data model. And and other similar kinds of things have to be done when you go to the, the data prep, the feature extraction for data scientists. Uh, they get this great data from the data engineers. And first thing they have to do is restructure all of it. That's where the labor and the complexity costs are. That's where the mistakes and errors are made. So when you're rethinking this modern architecture, this ecosystem or system of systems, look for the arrows between the systems and say, that's where my costs are. That's where my complexity is. What can I do to erase that from the source going forward? Not easy. It's hard to do, takes really smart architects.
0: Yeah, and I think that's one reason why this concept of data ops is gaining traction. Uh, We did research on that earlier this year and it's one of our more popular topics uh, on the website. Uh, It's all about orchestrating uh, the flow of data between systems, uh, which inevitably happens and as as you argue quite correctly, we do have a system of systems. and you do have to move data from one place to another. There was hope with Hadoop that you would never have to move data once you got it into Hadoop, but I'm not so sure that's working out well. Um, it might be a little bit easier in the cloud uh, where the lake and the and uh, the warehouse are becoming inextricably uh, connected. Um, but, you know, the, this whole notion of data ops is, is how we can... Uh, automate the, the flow of data from one system to another and orchestrate it and ensure data integrity and and data quality throughout. Is that something that you've been exposed to at all, the data ops movement?
1: Yes, and I agree 100% with you. You know, The data ops and the DevOps together are the way that you would look at those arrows between the systems and say, how can I smooth these rough bumps? So actually, most companies are in some sta- state of preparing to do this, now's the time to put all the architectures on the whiteboard and work it as a single system, because otherwise it's just a, an abomination. It's just this kludge of architectures that grew up over 20 years that you know need a refresh. So it's not just the data warehouse needs an update. It's the data lakes also in need of an update, the data integration. Everything needs a little bit of this data ops. And thats I think you've got a good point. That's where you should start.
0: You know, the other thing that we're seeing that's changing the nature of the uh, architectures we design is the convergence of of data and applications. More and more, companies want to insert analytics, which is the output of our data flows, into their, you know, customer-facing or operational applications, either through embedding reports or embedding analytical models, uh, and they don't want to put... You know, monolithic systems in there. They want they want the the analytics to have the same software architecture as the applications they're running in. Uh, so this is another thing that I think is giving momentum to data ops. Is that we're taking it? You know, it's it's DevOps for data, right? And we're we're approaching it like a software problem rather than a data problem. And so, hence the uh, the uh, popularity of containers and Kubernetes and um, <clears throat> Uh, APIs for, for managing the flow of data across systems. So a lot is going on. So even as we try to re-architect our environments, we find that the target's moving. At least that's what we're finding uh, with some of our clients.
1: Well, you know, and a final note, the future is completely distributed. Uh, there is no central one place anymore for all of these things to happen. And secondarily, it's all about the APIs. So platform as a service is where everything's going to end up eventually, uh, at least in terms of the things that are not software as a service. So even even the infrastructure as a service may melt away behind these two. And I think platform as a service and APIs are really the future. And uh, it's a distributed world. It has been for a long time. We just didn't want to admit it. I So guess. E-
0: even though you're a big data warehouse advocate, you, you would say that there is no center there anymore. It's all distributed.
1: Well, there's a center in the sense that you have the clean, trustworthy data, but the amount of data outside the data warehouse is much bigger. You know, I mean, you look at these large corporations, they'll have four or five data warehouses, they'll have 200 to 400 data marts, they'll have thousands of files operating in self-service mode in Tableau or or Click, uh, and then they'll have three or four data lakes. I mean, we have to get over the idea that there's a center of the universe um, you know it's like the earth we're not the center of the universe we're just part of this big thing
0: <laughs> well that's great that sounds like a, a good place to uh to stop our conversation for today so dan thank you so much for being on the show
1: wayne thanks for having me it's always
0: good to talk to you thanks for listening if you like the podcast please subscribe if you want more content from business intelligence to data management to data science browse to the eckerson group website at eckerson.com.